Welcome to the Yahoo Finance Presents podcast. I'm Alexis Christophorus. If you're looking for information about a privately held company on the internet, chances are you have used Crunchbase. With 45 million active users, Crunchbase is the leading aggregator of private company info online. And I am delighted to have CEO Jagger McConnell join me now for this podcast. It's great to have you here. Great to be here. First off, we have to start with this partnership between Yahoo Finance and your company, Crunchbase, which we're very excited about. It's going to feature private company information for the first time ever on the Yahoo Finance platform. Tell us what uh, our users will be able to access via Crunchbase. Sure. I mean, we're super super excited about the partnership. Uh, being able to go and have some of our private company data on Yahoo Finance is, is a huge bonus for all of, hopefully, your users. Um, the, some of the stuff that you're going to see are things like how much money they've raised, what their last round of funding was, um, who the investors, top investors were in that last round, um, how much was that last round for, uh, where they located, founded, founder information. So there's a lot of high-quality information about the private company. Mm -hmm. And then, obviously, if you want to drill into anything, learn more about the company, learn more about those founders, learn more about the funding around investors, you can click into that and go directly into Crunchbase. I'm curious how you aggregate this information, how you make sure there are checks and balances and things are verified, especially in this day of, of a lot of fake information out there. Yeah. Um, how, how are you able to, to verify what's on Crunchbase? Yeah, there's actually many different ways that data comes into Crunchbase and how it is verified across the different sources. Um, I'll try to do that quickly. Uh, there's sort of five ways that data comes in. One is that people contribute data into Crunchbase. So you can go and enter your own company into Crunchbase if it's not already in there. There are reasons you want to do that, like investors can find you, or we actually give you a lot of SEO uh, perks for your own website by driving traffic to you. Uh, so that's one way. Um, the, another way is that we have 3,700 partnerships with VCs all over the world who go and give us, give us their portfolio data. So that's 100% accurate, typically. And it come, becomes a good checks and balance across the community. So that's the second way. Okay. The third way is we have uh, 14 partnerships with uh, different company databases all over the world. Uh, so they go and give us different aspects or facets of company data, and we put that into our graph as well. Mm -hmm. uh, we have machine learning and uh, crawling, so we're going and finding information that we're legally allowed to access and go and bring that into our graph. Mm -hmm. um, that also is a way for us to clean the data and make sure there's no spam or anything uh, goofy going on with the data, so okay. that's the fourth way. And the fifth way is we have our own data team. So we have 10 people in San Francisco, 60 people overseas that go and clean the data and, and make sure that that data uh, is looking right. We flag anomalies and have people look at it if, if the system can't figure out if it's right or wrong. So that, that combo mm -hmm. uh, is actually kind of unique. Like every, I don't know of any other data provider that has all of those things mm -hmm. uh, to make sure that that private data is right. Yeah, you always have to be on top of it and sort of get out in front of it. You know, for full disclosure for our listeners, so um, Yahoo Finance's parent company, Verizon, owns a minority stake in Crunchbase. And it, this is in some ways sort of a coming home, I guess, for Crunchbase because it was spun out of AOL, which is also owned by Verizon, um, back in 2015. You came on shortly thereafter? Uh, I was as part of the spin-out. So they needed to have a CEO to run the company that was becoming new. Right. Uh, I was at Salesforce prior to that, and I, I decided to join. 
And talk to me about how the company has fared sort of as an independent kid, if you will, and what has growth <laughs> growth been like? Yeah. I, I mean, when we spun out, we only had uh, some advertising revenue to run the business. Uh, so the first step was, so let's go and build uh, a reoccurring revenue stream. Uh, so we built an application called Crunchbase Pro, which allows you to go and do analysis, prospecting, uh, monitoring of the data set. So you can go and say, hey, show me when a certain type of company comes into existence that I would care about. Maybe it's in my territory or it's raised a certain amount of money. Uh, and it will alert you of when those companies ha- happen. So there's a, that's what Crunchbase Pro fundamentally does. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started selling that. We now have about 11,000 paying customers uh, for Crunchbase Pro. Uh, we also do licensing deals as well where we go and sell our data, and, they, and other companies incorporate that data into their applications. How much is it for uh, Crunchbase Pro? What, is it a tiered uh, sort of situation? Yeah, there's or? different ways to pay for it, uh, but the, the low level or the, the sort of prosumer version is $348. A year. Okay. So 45 million active users, 11,000 of which are paid. Let me guess that you want to see growth in paid subscriptions. You are absolutely <laughs> right. What are uh, goals in that area? What are you looking at? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're trying to do the, the sort of standard uh, venture sort of game, which is you want to triple, triple, double, double, double. Um, so we're in, we're in that first or the second triple right now. So we're trying to triple this year. And then next year, we'd like to double and then double again. Mm-hmm. Right. What about other revenue streams for a company like yours? Sometimes you have to get creative, for sure. um, you know, and, and nobody really likes to see a paywall. But if the information is worth it, some people are willing to pay up. Yep. Um, so what are some other revenue streams that you're considering or, or actively in the midst of? Yep. So we, again, we do have a, this licensing model. So we can go and license our application. We have about 150 the applications that use our data in their applications. Um, our goal there is Crunchbase everywhere. We want, if you have a company database in your product, we want you to be using our private company data as part of that product uh, rather than having to try to rebuild one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, that's actually a good amount of revenue for us as well. Um, and then when we think about other revenue streams, we have an enterprise offering. So if you're a larger company, you might want to go and use our data internally. Um, we have integrations into CRM systems, and we have uh, l- large API feeds that you can go and pull into other systems that you may have internally. Uh, those are other ways that we go and make money. And then mm-hmm. looking forward, uh, we, again, have this sort of partnership with 14 different companies that have company data. We're essentially reselling some of their data to our users. Mm-hmm. So if you want to have, let's say, uh, tech stack data, Data on what these companies are using, or what their budgets are, or, or, or you know, a- anything along those sorts of different facets that maybe Crunchbase you wouldn't think would have that data. Right, right. Um, we actually have those partnerships, and we can make money from that as so well. So you can get really granular when you're looking at oh yeah the, the innards of a company. Really interesting stuff. Um, you know, show me companies that have uh, raised a certain amount of money, sure, but also have website traffic growing X over Y, um, or that use AWS or use Microsoft Azure or whatever it happens to be. Um, you know, these are really interesting questions that you usually have to pull in all these different data sets from all over the world to sort of answer those questions. We've done that for you on Crunchbase. So I understand you also have a new service called, uh, I don't know how new it is, but it's called Crunchbase Marketplace. That's, when did that launch? Yeah, that was in February of this year, and that's exactly what that what I'm talking what about. What you were just describing. Yep. So doesn't that sort of put you in the realm of like a Hoover's or a LexisNexis? Are you sort of opening up to a different client base with Marketplace? Yeah, it's it's we're trying to democratize that. Uh, that's a very Those are expensive products that you just listed. Right. And, and, and the prosumer probably can't afford that. The individual you know, investor, the individual entrepreneur, salesperson, BD person. I, I remember when I first became a business journalist and got to use Hoover's, right. I was like, wow, this is cool. I right. can't afford this on my own, <laughs> but right. wow. Right. right. There's a lot of data, but it's really expensive. So uh, again, we're, we're, we're 
not only just an affordable option, but we also have like Hoover's and all those other folks. They don't have all of these different data sets coming in from other companies that have that as their primary core competency. Mm-hmm. Um, our data is also very live and fluid, so it changes all the time. Uh, we, you know, we have more than 20 million updates happening in our data set mm-hmm. in any given year. Um, that means the data feels and acts very fresh compared to what you might hear when you talk about Dun & Bradstreet or Hoover's. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, uh, again, a big differentiator for us and something that, we're, that we plan to keep pushing for. Like, how do we make that data more live? faster updated. How do you get that live data to the end user as quickly as possible? And that's mm-hmm. stuff that we think about a lot. What are some of them? I'm curious if, if there are some trade-offs when it comes to monetizing your product. And, and could you outline some of those for us? Yeah. I mean, the, probably the biggest and, and most obvious is the one we're just talking about is, is uh, you know, we could have gone out market. We could have said, hey, let's go after the big financial institutions. Let's try to sell them $100,000 plus or more uh, a year product. Um that isn't the strategy we want to go down. Now, if we did that, we would have targeted a very specific use case. We would have built out all these crazy features just for that specific use case. Um, I've, I would have had to build a huge sales team to go after that those, those, right. those buyers. Um, the marketing strategy would have been much, much different. Um, for us, it's more about how can we convince those 45 million folks that we have something that's valuable to them that they might want to pay for. Um, so we don't have to invest so heavily in sales and marketing. Um, and it really becomes less focused on product and let's focus on making sure that this wide range of use cases can get the value that we're looking for from Crunchbase. Okay. I want to talk about talent um, and and retaining talent, finding talent. Mm. It's not easy uh, in lots of different industries, especially in Silicon Valley, because these jobs are so competitive and it really is, you know, the people looking for the jobs can sort of pick and choose and maybe not even get back to people who get back to them and say, hey, are you interested in working for us? <laughs> so so tell us how Crunchbase is dealing with that. How are you retaining? How are you attracting yeah, talent? It's, it's, a, it's a great question and, and definitely a challenge. Uh, as you mentioned, I, we're right downtown San Francisco. So within a in it. five block <laughs> radius, you know, you've, you, you have got just about every startup there is <laughs> in, right. in, in, in the city. So when we think about how do we attract and how do we retain um, there's a few different ways. One is let's be building something that's worthwhile, right? We're trying to build the destination of company information on the internet. We're, you know, that's the, if I, I could say we're 75 people today. Hey, if you want to join LinkedIn at 75 people, would you be interested in that? Most people would say, hmm, that sounds pretty cool. In hindsight, that's yes, right. thank sounds you. sounds really good. <laughs> um, so so we, we have a similar story where we have big dreams and big goals, and we can get our candidates excited about that vision. Uh, those are the ones that want to join us um, at this sort of early stage. So that's sort of one avenue is, is have a great vision that people can get rallied around. Another is make sure you have the right values as a, as a company. Um, and that's where um, I've actually spoken publicly uh, many times around sort of diversity and making sure that we're giving back to the community and, and, and that we have a duty as a, a small startup to be setting an example. Uh, yeah, you know, I saw somewhere your numbers, which were pretty um, shocking in a good way. Yeah. Uh, is it that almost half of the company is non-white? That's right. That's a, more than half. Yeah, that's right. Wow. And a lot of women you employ. That's right. We're at about 45%, which is for a startup of 75 people, really unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the reason is, you know, I was at Salesforce for a long time, uh, and I saw the impact of not focusing on diversity early enough and how that there was a lot of effort that had to be put in later on to go and fix that because uh, right. it became a bigger and bigger problem over time. So our, our thought is let's focus on that early. Let's make that our priority early. Um, and, and so far, I think we're doing a pretty good job. 
You know, uh, when I think Silicon Valley companies, I think perks. Mm. I think, oh, we can, you know, lunch is included. You get to eat outside. You're exercising for free. <laughs> I mean, you're relatively small still. Uh, are there any sort of Silicon Valley-esque perks at Crunchbase? Well, I was, I was laughing because every one of the things you just listed, we have. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, yep, we have the free lunch. We we have a stipend for, for fitness. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, we, we do have a deck so you can eat outside. Do you, do you have pool tables <laughs> or we ping pong a, tables? We have a pool table. <laughs> okay. uh, so it's, it's kind of, and this is par for course for San Francisco. If you don't have those things, like people do care. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there's actually legislation going on right now in San Francisco saying that that, that startups shouldn't be able to go and give lunches uh, to their employees so that they get out and actually spend dollars in the local economy. And I actually don't disagree with that. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's, there's the balance of what's right for the community and what's right for the for the company. These these perks, though, uh, it's always a, f- a fine line of what is what is the actual cost to the to the business. Yes, like it's, it seems crazy that we are buying lunches for folks every day, um, but at the same time. Uh, losing an employee because they think that it's cooler to work at a Lyft or an Uber or wherever it is that give them unbelievable lunches every day. Mm-hmm. Um, that's 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 the cost for the whole year <laughs> for, yeah. for, for Ab- what that Absolutely. Is. I remember when I started out, I was working at Bloomberg, which was really ahead of its time in a lot of ways, but uh, they offered, they had snack stations. Mm. Not full-on lunch, but snack stations. And so if you needed a coffee or a, a beverage or soup in a can or something. <laughs> you no, know, they had in microwaves. And I just realized, wow, I never leave the office. And that was the idea, right? Mm, that's right. Squeeze a little more out of the worker. Keep them there working and, and interacting with their colleagues. That's right. I think I think that's the more important part is that, like I I would love to have people work more, but the reality <laughs> is they're going to work as much as they want to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the bigger piece is having them interacting with different parts of the organization that you have these communication walls that start going up, but they can't talk to one another or have vehicles to talk to one another. So we have lunches is a good way of that sort of cross pollination between yeah. departments. Uh, but we also have that at our uh, all hands meeting, which we actually give dinner at on Friday. So if you want to stay, you, you can stay if you want to. It's a That's upping the ante there, Jack. Uh, you have a little dinner on Friday. <laughs> um, I, now I read and tell me if this is true that you actually put out your own cell phone number yep. to uh, attract talent. <laughs> Tell me that. Were you okay at the time when you did this? Were you mentally <laughs> stable when you put your phone number out you there? You aren't the first person to ask me that. Uh, it, 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 yes, I was, and and I, I stand by it. Like you have to sort of figure out ways to differentiate yourself, especially as a startup. And at the time, we were thirty people, um, and we were having trouble getting noticed. Like, yeah, our brand is pretty well known, uh, but it's still we're, we're kind of a legacy brand. Like it's been around for a long time. What do we do? How do we make Your company money? Eleven years old now. It's, uh, Twelve almost. Twelve. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's been around for a while. Um, we really are only three years old because we spun out three right, years ago. Right. Uh, but but people perceive us as a brand that's been around for a long time. So how do you how do you feel fresh? How do you make that feel right? And so I did put my my phone number out there, mostly focused for I, I, we're trying to find diverse engineers. Like that's the challenge, right? Mm-hmm. Is how do you find those diverse engineers? And if you are one of those folks and you're looking for maybe to get more attention or visibility. Now you have myself right to the number. CEO. Um, um, yep. What kind of attention did that get? Bizarre attention? Good attention? Yeah, a little, little <laughs> bit of everything. Okay. Um, you know, you, I, I did get a number of people who are saying, "How do I get into tech? I would like to be an engineer, um, uh, but I'm a looking nurse for in Colorado." It's like, well, you know, that's that's I don't I can't give you a path to that, but here's mm-hmm. some advice on how to go and get there. Well, that was nice of you. Yeah, I mean, I didn't spend a lot of time on it, but a little, <laughs> a little bit of, of, of pushing in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there are so many avenues to become uh, sort of with hacker actor and all these things where. 
where you can sort of get engaged with being an engineer with six months to a year of, of hard work mm-hmm. uh, and you get hired. Uh, and that's and that's sort of the push that I, I give people when they, they try to figure out how to get into tech as an engineer. Mm. Uh, now, you said that you want to remove unconscious bias involved in the hiring process. Mm. What do you mean and how do you remove it? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's little pieces, right, where you will just hire the first person that comes in the door that seems like a good fit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the, the the easiest way to to fill up your your recruiting uh, sort of goals, mm-hmm. um, and that's really not the best way. You have to go and talk to additional people, and when you talk to additional people, you have to focus on making sure that you have a diverse pool of candidates to look at. And when you look at that diverse pool of candidates, um, listen to the reasons that people give why they give no's. Um, so, so we have a we use lever. Uh, Internally, mm-hmm. and that means that people can go and, and give feedback on, uh, you know, how they thought of the candidate. And when you read that feedback, you can actually go and say, are, are these good reasons or not? Mm-hmm. Um, and and so if if it's things like, you know, they they were having trouble with English. Well, is that actually a requirement of the job to be super fluent in English? Mm-hmm. Um, they might be an amazing engineer and not right. really speak English very well. You can't just you can't bias against that. And there's a number of these sort of signals you can look for. Um, that's some of what I mean by that unconscious bias. Um, also, there's this this weird bias of of oh, let's worry about diversity at the upper levels of an organization, and they don't pay attention to the lowest levels of the organization. And what people don't realize is that when you hire ten people for a certain type of role, those people in those roles will someday get promoted, hopefully, to the next level. And if you have filled it with males, guess what? You're uh-huh. going to get white males all the way up through your, your, your management chain. So then you, your only choice is to hire outside of your company to diversify your company. Right. And um, a great way to retain talent, I would think, is to let people realize this is a pathway to a larger, bigger, and better job in-house. Correct. That's, yeah. that's absolutely right. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about um, things you cover, which are these private companies, many of them unicorns now, a lot of them unicorns. So 2018 shaping up to be a record year for private investing. VCs, I can't believe this, poured $73 billion into startups uh, valued at a billion dollars or more so far this year. That's right. So that brings the number to 65 companies have been minted unicorns this year. Do you think that Unicorns have sort of the, the word unicorn has lost its luster a little bit. Maybe we need to come up with a different name. Well, yeah, the, the big debate is what is what is the ten billion dollar company yeah, now? Exactly. The, there's a decacorn is like on a, a proposal list. Oh, you know, no, that's going to be hard to say all the time. <laughs> I say unicorn a lot. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's there's there, it's it's a kind of crazy time, uh, and you know. The, the big question is, is it frothy? Is this a frothy environment or is this is something going out of control? And what's interesting is, you know, in China, you can make an argument that there's that that things are just bonkers right now, that there's, you know, the all like 17 of the last uh, 20 hundred million dollar plus rounds have been in China in the last crazy. Year. It's just nuts. Um, and the money that's coming in is is not necessarily all smart money. Some of it is not smart money where uh, the, there's 3,500 new VC and equity firms in China being minted uh, in wow. the last 12 months, wow. uh, which is crazy. So there's there's questions there about how sustainable that market is. And I think there's no one's going to just debate that there's a huge opportunity there, but who's going to win in that market is a big right. question mark. And people are just throwing money, hoping and betting in our world uh, over here in the U.S., um, again, we have in the last year we've I think we've minted the exact same number of unicorns as China, hmm. um, and 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 what's crazy is we have way more than anyone else anywhere in the world. Um, so we the two China and the U.S. are way ahead, and the question is going to become. 
Um, are we throwing good money after bad or bad money after good? Right. Uh, we'll find out. Um, but the interesting thing here is that there's a lot of smart money going in right now. So, like, yes, these numbers are crazy, but these are really top, top, top investors who are putting those dollars in. Um, and that's uh, could just mean that things are frothy. We're going to find out. Do you think that we're going to see more IPOs in the next two to five years just because at some point these the smart money needs an exit yeah, strategy. That's totally right, and and I I do think so. I mean, we're already seeing that this year, right? right. Where, where we've seen uh, a, a record number of IPOs uh, going live from these privately funded companies. Um, and I, when you look to the future, there's huge ones right around the corner, right? Uber is lurking, uh, and 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 they're getting their house in order. They're seems starting like to. Seems like they're actually going to yeah. do it. So uh, yeah, I think I think if these are successful IPOs, that this is going to be everyone's going to say, well, why aren't you IPOing? Whereas right. You know, back in 2015 and 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 before, it was scary to go right. IPO. There was a lot of risk there, so you didn't see nearly as much money flowing into these late rounds, mm-hmm. trying to encourage people to go public. Do you think that a high valuation, especially early on for a company, can hurt their long-term growth? Hundred um, percent. I'm. A, there was when I was joining Crunchbase. There was a lot of advice saying, "Hey, raise the biggest round you can at the highest valuation. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Just get the money so you stay alive." And there's, you know, some some good reasons for that, right? If you're going to die because you don't have that money, yeah, it makes sense to go for the high valuation uh, deal. But as someone who now has raised a number of rounds with Crunchbase, um, I'm like that. That's that preference stack, the thing that you have to clear through an exit is 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 a challenging thing. So if you raise $100 million on a $200 million valuation, um, if your company can't get sold for more than 250 or 300 right. like you're going you're gonna to be in trouble. Um, and, and that's going to demotivate your entire company, right? And those folks aren't going to want to work there anymore. And, and the whole company falls apart. So certainly raise what you need, um, but but don't go crazy on the valuation because it just becomes harder and harder to raise that next round. Um, mm. and, and that exit becomes less and less interesting to all the everyone involved in the company. Yeah, tread lightly. That's right. And don't, uh, don't put the cart before the horse. All right, so again, we're really excited uh, to be partnering with Crunchbase. And for all of you listening, you can go to yahoofinance.com now and find out some of this awesome information about privately held companies that you can only find at Crunchbase. So I want to thank Jagger McConnell, CEO of Crunchbase for joining us today, and I will talk to you soon. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Yahoo Finance Presents podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and share this podcast, and remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode.